السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي ربنا زدنا علما باب ما جاء في الثوم الني والبصل والكراث this bab and the following are miscellaneous issues okay with regards to salah And which salah? Salah that a person prays himself at home or he prays in the masjid or he prays in jama'ah. Some more issues concerning these matters. So first of all, what has come concerning thum? Thum is garlic. Which kind of garlic? An-nayi. Raw. That is uncooked. And basal. What is basal? Onions. And kurrath are leeks. Meaning... What is it that we learn from the ahadith concerning eating these things and going to the masjid or praying salah by oneself? Is it permissible to eat these foods and go to the masjid? Because these foods in particular, when a person eats them, especially raw garlic and raw onion and raw leeks, then they leave a very strong odor in a person's breath, and which annoys a person himself and is also a source of discomfort for those who are around him. Remember that these hadith, inshallah, that we would learn, talk about raw garlic, onion, and leeks, not cooked one. Okay? Because what is cooked, generally what happens is that the smell, it's less. Okay? It goes away quickly. But raw garlic, you know what I'm talking about. Right? And raw onion also. I mean, no matter how much you try to get rid of that smell, it doesn't go away. So the question is that if a person has eaten such food, can he go to the masjid? وَقَوْلِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ And the statement of the Prophet صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ مَنْ أَكَلَ الثُّومَ Whoever has eaten garlic, أو البصل, or onion, من الجوعي, from hunger, أو غيره, or any other reason, فَلَا يَقْرَبَنَّ مَسْجِدَنَا Then he should not come close to our masjid. Meaning he should not come near the masjid, he should not come to the masjid in order to attend the prayers over there. Rather he should stay where he is and not annoy others. Now these words are very, very serious. Hmm? And notice how, مِنَ الْجُوعِ أَوْ غَيْرِهِ That he has eaten these foods because this is all he found. He was extremely hungry and that's all he found. Or because of some other reason. Other reason like he likes it. He enjoys it. Hmm? Like for example, it is possible that you go somewhere and you're extremely hungry and the only snack available is some kind of salad which has raw onion in it. You're extremely hungry. And you know that from there you're going to the masjid. You have to go to the masjid. So should you eat that food or not? Should you choose something else? What if you're extremely hungry? So well, if you eat it, the Prophet ﷺ said, فَلَا يَقْرَبَنَّ مَسْجِدَنَا Such a person should not come close to our masajid. حدثنا مسدد قال حدثنا يحيى عن عبيد الله قال حدثني نافع عن ابن عمر رضي الله عنهما أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال في غزوة خيبر At the occasion of غزوه خيبر the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said من أكل من هذه الشجرة whoever has eaten from this tree which tree was he referring to يعني الثوم tree as in plant meaning garlic فلا يقربن مسجدنا then he should not come close to our masjid حدثنا عبد الله بن محمد قال حدثنا أبو عاصم قال أخبرنا ابن جريج قال أخبرني عطاء قال سمعت جابر بن عبد الله قال قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم 
من أكل من هذه الشجرة whoever has eaten from this tree meaning this plant يريد الثوم and he meant garlic فلا يغشانا في مساجدنا he should not يغشانا what is يغشا to cover he should not cover us in our masajid cover us meaning with its smell because its smell it spreads and it literally covers the people qultu i said ma yani bihi the narrator asked that what is it that he meant by that qala the one who narrated the hadith to him said ma urahu yani illa ni'ah i don't understand anything except ni'ah it's ni what is ni nay raw meaning it's raw form what the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam meant by garlic was its raw form wa qala makhlad ibn yazid an ibn jurayjin illa natna he said that what he understood by that was its natn what is natn smell hmm? because it may happen that you eat for example raw garlic in some food but you have something on top of that and as a result the smell goes away hmm? so what we understand is that basically when the smell is there then a person should not go but does it mean that he is free to not pray no he has to pray all right and he has to do something in order to get rid of that smell hadathana sa'id ibn ufayl qala hadathana ibn wahb an yunus an ibn shihab za'ma ata'un anna jabir ibn abdullah za'ma anna nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qala he said that the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said man akala thuman whoever has eaten garlic aw basalan or onion falya'tazilna then he should keep away from us أو قال or he said فليعتزل مسجدنا or that he should keep away from our masjid so the narrator was confused either the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said he should keep away from us or he said he should keep away from our masjid وليقعد في بيته and he should sit in his home وأن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم and he also said that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam at one occasion utiya he was brought بقدرن with a قدر Remember Qudur al-Rasiyat? Qidr, a pot. Hmm? He was brought a pot. Fihi in it were khadirat. Khadirat meaning vegetables. Khadirat right? min bukul. There were some vegetables in it. And obviously it's understood that vegetables in a pot means they will be cooked. فَوَجَدَ لَهَا رِيحًا So he found in it some reeh, some smell. Meaning those cooked vegetables had a very strong smell. فَسَأَلَ So he asked that what is this فَأُخْبِرَ بِمَا فِيهَا So he was informed about what was in it مِنَ الْبُقُولَ of the vegetables Meaning he was told about which vegetables were in that pot Had been cooked فَقَالَ So he said قَرِّبُوهَا Take it near إِلَى بَعْضِ أَصْحَابِهِ كَانَ مَعْهُ To some of the companions that were with him So basically he said I don't want it You take it You give it to so and so So The Prophet ﷺ refused to eat anything from that pot and he said others should eat it. But those companions, فَلَمَّا ذَنْ وَنْ رَآهُ He saw that كَرِهَ أَكْلَهَا That the Prophet ﷺ disliked its eating and the Prophet ﷺ saw this you know, wonder on the faces of the companions that he disliked to eat it and he is giving it to us so should we eat it or not? They were confused. قَالَ The Prophet ﷺ said كُلْ Eat it. فَإِنِّي أُنَاجِي مَنْ لَا تُنَاجِي Because I privately converse with those whom you do not privately converse with. In other words, this food is not haram. Go ahead and eat it. But I have to converse with the angels. Jibreel comes to me. 
and he speaks to me and in a private conversation obviously there's close contact so i do not wish to annoy jibril by any smell of food even وقال احمد بن صالح بعد حديث يونس عن ابن شهاب وهو يثبت قول يونس وقال احمد بن صالح عن ابن وهب اتي ببدر in another version it said utiya bi badr meaning when the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was at badr then he was brought this if you notice in this narration we learn utiya bi qidr in another narration utiya bi badr so there was some confusion qala ibn wahb yani tabaqan fihi khudarat tabaq again a dish in it were cooked vegetables walam yadkur al-laythu wa abu safwan an yunus qissatu al-qidr fala adri huwa min qawl az-zuhri aw fi al-hadith so basically some variant versions let's read the next hadith and then we will conclude the lessons that are derived hadathana abu ma'mar qala hadathana abdul warith an abdul aziz qala sa'ala rajulun anasan he said that a man asked anas radiyallahu anhu ma sami'ta nabiyallahi sallallahu alayhi wasallam fi thumi what have you heard from the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam regarding the thum meaning regarding the garlic faqala so he said qala nabiy sallallahu alayhi wasallam man akala min hadhihi shajarati fala yaqrabna Whoever has eaten from this plant, then he should not come near us. أو لا يصلينا معنا Or he should not pray with us. So what do we learn from this? That the Prophet ﷺ forbade, not at one occasion, but at many occasions, and the Sahaba understood this very well, that if a person has eaten any such food from which there is a bad smell, annoying smell, then he should keep away from the congregation, and he should also keep away from the masjid. But obviously, praying in the congregation for men is mandatory. So he should not live with that smell, rather he should do something to get rid of that smell. And the reason behind that is why? Because first of all, it annoys the people. And secondly, from the hadith that we also learned, the Prophet ﷺ said that I have to privately converse with those whom you do not have to privately converse. And who is that? The angels. Because the angels also get annoyed by such smells. Now notice in these ahadiths, we learn about thum, okay? but leeks, are they mentioned? No, but Imam Bukhari mentioned also is proving that eating leeks will also not be okay. Although from the ahadith, we don't see the mention of leeks. So from this, we understand that anything, any kind of food, okay, any kind of food that will leave such a strong odor, it should be avoided right before going to the masjid. And likewise, if a person, you know, is smoking or anything and his clothes are, you know, smelling so strong, then that should also be avoided. I remember once I went to a clinic and over there there were these big signs that if you're wearing strong perfume then please leave. Hmm? Why? Because certain people are allergic. And I remember in one of the classes on the weekend the sister came up to me and she had like her face was almost swollen her lips and her hands she's like I'm allergic to strong fragrance I'm allergic to perfume. And she's like every time I go to you know a class or halaq or something like that I find that so strong that it causes you know my skin to react for some people strong smells can even be a trigger for migraine and that can cause them to feel nauseous almost right so what we learn from this is that when a person is going to the masjid then he should be considerate of the people who are around him and as a result strong fragrances okay they should be avoided especially those that are bad whether it's coming from the clothes of a person or the body of a person one should take care of this You know in a hadith we learned that when a person stands to recite the Quran in prayer the angels draw very near and an angel literally places his mouth on the mouth of the musalli so that he can directly take the recitation of the Quran 
Because the angels love the recitation of the Qur'an. Because they don't have the gift of reciting themselves. They have not been gifted with the tawfiq to recite the Qur'an themselves. Only Jibreel is. Hmm? But the angels love the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they love to hear it. So for that reason, look at how considered the Prophet ﷺ was. The food is not haram, but he still didn't eat it. And sometimes the stronger the fragrance, the more you know it brings water to our mouths. And we want to eat it, but the Prophet ﷺ avoided it. And this also shows to us that the angels are residents of masajid. They live in the masajid. They're sukkanul masajid. And when a person is praying salah, even outside of a masjid, by himself, then the angels are present over there. Bab wudu'i sibiyani wa mata yajibu alayhimul ghaslu wa tuhuru wa hudurihimul jama'ata wal idaini wal janaiza wa sufufihim. There are several issues over here. First of all, wudu'i sibiyan. Wudu for children. Meaning, should they perform wudu also for prayer? Or is it something that they do not have to do? Now, Sibyan, it's very important that we understand what Sabi means. Sabi is basically a child. Alright? But Imam Bukhari, what he means by children over here is not very little children, but rather children who have not yet reached the age of puberty. Okay? Meaning, they have not had ihtilam yet. Their voice has not become, you know, deep yet. Okay? They don't have signs of puberty, such as, you know, growing facial hair or their voice becoming heavier or them having a wet dream or something like that. No. Sabi is who? Someone who has not yet reached this age. Alright? And remember that for different children, it's at different ages that these signs of puberty appear. However, there are children who develop the sense of uh, tamyiz, meaning the ability to, to distinguish between what is right and what is wrong, to follow rules even before they reach this age. Right? Like for example, when a child is seven years of age, what do we learn? That he should be taught how to pray. Right? And by the age of ten, he must pray. And if he does not pray, then strict measures of discipline may also be taken in order to teach him that salah is a serious matter and he has to perform the prayer. Now, on average, by the age of 10, our boys, have they reached the age of ihtilaf? Not necessarily. Majority of the children, I mean, uh, at least as far as I have seen, it's usually after the age of 10, so around 12, 13, sometimes before, sometimes after. Every child is different. So, sabi over here, you can say is around the age of seven, a little before, after, okay, up until the age of puberty. Obviously, a five-year-old child, what does he know about wudu? I mean, it's possible, some children are very smart, but on average, five-year-olds cannot even wash themselves. Hmm? But by the age of seven, you know, they've mastered that skill, they kind of know what is clean and what is not clean. They can follow uh, the method of wudu, right? They're learning these things. So when a child has reached this age, around seven, before puberty, for salah, should he do wudu? This is a question. Should he do wudu? Now if you think about it, when a child is being taught how to pray, he's being made to pray. By the age of ten, he's not reached puberty. But if he doesn't pray, I mean he can be disciplined. So why is he being disciplined? Because he must pray. Because it is fard on him. 
Because if something is not fard, why be strict? You understand? Why be strict? So the fact that by the age of 10 they must pray, even though they haven't reached ihtilam, what does it show? That salah is mandatory on them. Salah is mandatory on them. And when it is mandatory, then they must fulfill the conditions. Which conditions? Of tahara, you know, of clothes, of the qibla, and so on and so forth. So, wudu is sibyan. Should they do wudu then? Yes. Okay, at age six, the child is standing with the father. No wudu, no problem. At age five, four, no problem. But seven, when you're teaching them, okay, now we're praying. No laughing and no talking and no looking here and there. Right? Gradually, gradually, you teach them these rules. But one of the first rules is, teach them how to do wudu. So wudu is sibyan. Another question. Wamata and when yajibu, it is mandatory, alayhim on them al-ghasl. What is al-ghasl? Ghusl over here. Meaning bath. Which bath? There's two kinds of baths. Okay, especially for men. One is to come out of the state of janaba okay, after ihtilam. Alright? And secondly, also on Friday. So, وَمَتَى يَجِبُ عَلَيْهِمُ الْغَسْلِ Both these questions, that when is it mandatory for boys to take ghusl, whether it is a Friday or it is of ihtilam? When are they supposed to do that? Thirdly, وَالطُّهُورِ And cleanliness, meaning in general, obtaining purity, meaning washing themselves properly after using the bathroom. Because, you know, when children are younger and they're washing themselves, it is quite possible that they are negligent in that matter. They don't realize the urine has splashed somewhere on their clothes, on their body. And even though they see it, but they rub it off, not realizing that it is filthy. But by a certain age, children develop the sense that this is unclean, and if it has fallen on my clothes, on my body, I should remove it. Another issue is, وَحُضُورِهِمْ And their presence, where they're attending al-jama'ah, the congregation. By what age should boys perform salah in jama'ah. And this is especially with regards to fard salah. Right? Whether it is being prayed in jama'ah at home or it is being prayed in jama'ah at the masjid. At what age should the boys be required to attend the masjid? Well, eidain and eid. The two eid prayers. When is that mandatory on boys? Well, is And the is prayers. Meaning the funeral prayer. When is that mandatory on them? him And their roles. Meaning when is it that Boys should be made to form proper rows in salah. At what age? Now, remember that when it comes to children in general, there is one hadith that tells us that the pen has been lifted from three and amongst them is a child who has not yet reached the age of puberty. So in general, the rulings, you know, they don't apply to young children. Alright? However, as we discussed that by age seven, Children are required to pray salah. And by age 10, it is mandatory on them. And puberty may be attained before, at, or even after. For many, it's after. But when it comes to salah, once children, you know, once they have developed tamyiz, the ability to distinguish between tahir and ghayr tahir, right and wrong, they can follow the procedure, you know, of wudu, then it is necessary for them to take care of tuhur, to do wudu, and to attend the congregation also. To perform salah in jama'ah, and when they're performing salah in jama'ah, then what should they do? Form proper rows also. You cannot expect a five-year-old to do that, a three-year-old to do that, but a seven, eight-year-old, 
should be expected to stand properly in, in the row. Okay, meaning they should be taught these things so that by the age of ten, you know, by the time that they're grown up, they have developed these habits. Because unfortunately, there are people who have, uh, you know, they're past the age of puberty, but still, they don't know how to stand properly in rows. Still, they don't know that it's not correct to speak, you know, during the salah. حدثنا ابن المثنى قال حدثني غندر قال حدثنا شعبة قال سمعت سليمان الشيبانية قال سمعت الشعبية قال أخبرني من he said that أخبرني he informed me who informed me من someone who مرة he passed مع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم with the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم على قبر by a grave that was منبوذ منبوذ نبذة what does نبذة mean to throw so what is thrown is Far. So manbud means like it was set apart from the rest. So it wasn't really, you know, in the graveyard, okay, but it was off to the side. So it wasn't really considered a graveyard, that place. فَأَمَّهُمْ And because it wasn't a graveyard, the Prophet Wasallam, he led the people in prayer, وَصَفُّوا عَلَيْهِ And they all, meaning those who were with him, what did they do? They formed rows behind him. فَقُلْتُ the narrator, he said, Ya Aba Amr, O Abu Amr, man haddathaka? Who told you about this? Faqala, so he said, Ibn Abbas. Ibn Abbas, radulahu anhu. So basically, man marra, someone who passed with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa the one who's narrating this, who is this? Ibn Abbas, radulahu anhu. And if he was over there, what does it mean? He prayed with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Right? Where? Standing in the row. And we know that Ibn Abbas was a very young companion. Right? In the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ. And many of the ahadiths that have been narrated by Ibn Abbas are those, basically, when he was not still an adult. Right? He was still a young boy who had not yet reached the age of puberty. So this shows that Ibn Abbas, if he was in that congregation, standing in the rows, what does it mean? That when children are with adults and they're praying salah, then where should they be standing? In the rows. Now obviously children, they may form a separate row, or if there are you know, very few people, like let's say two, you know, two men and a boy. So obviously one man is leading, and behind him, the man and the boy are standing together, forming a row. حدثنا علي بن عبد الله قال حدثنا سفيان قال حدثني صفوان بن سليم عن عطاء بن يسار عن أبي سعيد الخدري عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال الغسل يوم الجمعة واجب He said that الغسل taking a bath يوم الجمعة on Friday is واجب it is mandatory على on كل محتلم every محتلم meaning every man who has احتلام meaning who has started to have احتلام now every Friday he must take a bath so, with regards to wudu, it is understood. When it comes to the matter of ghusl, okay, remember that ghusl is wajib when? When there is a cause. When there is a reason for it. What are the two reasons for men? One is the day of Friday, and the other is ihtilam. Now, if a child is not muhtalim, he has not yet reached the age of puberty, does he have to take the bath of ihtilam? No. He doesn't have to because the cause is not there. What about Friday? Does he have to? No, he doesn't. He doesn't. According to many scholars, he doesn't have to. Why? Because of this hadith. Because al-ghuslu yawm al-jumu'ati wajibun ala kulli muhtalim. So let's say there is a child who is eight years old. Is he supposed to pray? He should be. Right? He should be praying. 
Now it's the day of Friday. Does he have to take a bath? No, he doesn't. At age 10. Is he required to pray? Yes. Can he sleep through the salah? No. He has to pray all five prayers by the age of 10. On Friday, should he take a bath? Does he have to take a bath? No, he doesn't. But once he has reached puberty, then does he have to? Yes. Friday bath, as well as otherwise when there is a need. حدثنا علي بن عبد الله قال أخبرنا سفيان عن عمر قال أخبرني كريب عن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما قال he said بت عند خالتي ميمونة ليلة ابن عباس said that I spent the night with my خاله meaning my aunt who was his aunt ميمونة رضي الله عنها and who was she the wife of the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم so basically in the house of the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he spent a night ليلة a night he went for a sleepover فَنَامَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ So the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, he went to sleep at night. فَلَمَّا كَانَ فِي بَعْضِ اللَّيْلِ Then when it was some part of the night, meaning a part of the night had passed, قَامَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم He got up. And فَتَوَضَّأَ He performed wudu. مِنْ from شَنِّنْ A water skin, meaning you know a leather bag in which there is water. مِنْ شَنِّنْ And this shan was مُعَلَّقْ This water skin was hanging. He performed wudu from that water. Can you imagine? From a water bottle basically. Wudu'an, huh? it was wudu that was khafifan, very light. Very light wudu. Meaning, he used very little water. But that didn't mean that parts were dry. No. A very light wudu. And this can also mean washing the parts only once, as opposed to three times. يُخَفِّفُهُ عَمْرٌ وَيُقَلِّلُهُ Did them. Meaning sometimes the narrators they said they yukhaffifu, they said khafif, and other times yukallilu, they said qaleel. A very small, a very quick wudu basically, in which he didn't use much water and, and he did not spend much time either. And this shows to us that at times a person may perform wudu like that also, to make the getting to the salah procedure easier. ثُمَّ قَامَ يُصَلِّي Then he stood to pray. فَقُمْتُ Now notice, Ibn Abbas is saying that I also stood. I also got up, فَتَوَضَّأْتُ And I also performed wudu. نَحْوًا Like, مِمَّا تَوَضَّأَ Like he had performed wudu. Meaning, I performed wudu just like the Prophet ﷺ did. Meaning quickly, a quick one. ثُمَّ جِئْتُ Then I came, فَقُمْتُ عَنْ يَسَارِهِ And I stood on his left side. But the Prophet ﷺ, what did he do? فَحَوَّلَنِي So he moved me. فَجَعَلَنِي عَنْ يَمِينِهِ And he made me stand where? On his right side. ثُمَّ صَلَّى مَا شَاءَ اللَّهِ Then he prayed whatever Allah willed. Meaning how much ever? فَقَعَتَ Allah willed for him. ثُمَّ طَجَعَ Then he laid down. فَنَامَ And he slept. حَتَّى نَفَخَ So much so that he was snoring. Meaning he could hear the breath of the Prophet ﷺ because نَفَخَ means to blow, right? نُفِخَ فِي الصُّورِ نَفْخْ To blow. So when he was sleeping, he could hear you know, him exhale, inhale. So basically, light snoring. فَأَتَاهُ الْمُنَادِي Then the caller came to him. يُؤْذِنُهُ Informing him بِالصَّلَاةِ About the salah. Meaning, بِلَالَ ضِلَوْا عَنْهُ came to tell him about Fajr prayer. فَقَامَ مَعَهُ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ So the Prophet ﷺ went with him to the prayer. فَصَلَّى So he prayed the Fajr prayer. And he did not make fresh wudu. 
He did not make fresh wudu. Okay. Now we have read this hadith multiple times earlier and we have discussed these issues mentioned over here, but I will summarize these issues for you because I know you're wondering what's going on over here. How come he didn't do wudu? قُلْنَا لِعَمْرٍ We said to Amr, إِنَّ نَاسًا يَقُولُونَ The people say that إِنَّ النَّبِيَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ That the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم تَنَامُ عَيْنُهُ وَلَا يَنَامُ قَلْبُهُ His eyes sleep, but his heart does not sleep. قَالَ عَمْرٌ سَمِعْتُ عُبَيْدًا عُمَيْرًا يَقُولُ إِنَّ رُؤْيَ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ وَحْيٌ He said that the dreams of the prophets are revelation. And this is why even when they're sleeping, their hearts are awake. They're conscious. So if they lose wudu, they are aware. ثُمَّ قَرَأَ And as evidence he recited, إِنِّي أَرَى فِي الْمَنَامِ أَنِّي أَذْبَحُكَ Ibrahim السلام, said to his son that I saw in my dream that I was slaughtering you. So his dream was a wahi, a revelation. It wasn't like the dream of other people. Now there is a number of things over here. First of all, uh, the reason why Imam Bukhari brings this hadith in this bab is to prove that when a child is praying with the rest of the people, then A, he has to do wudu. Obviously this is when salah is mandatory on him. And Ibn Abbas was around that age. He was near the age of puberty but had not yet reached puberty. But please don't force your six-year-old child to make wudu every time for prayer because he will begin to resent prayer. Hmm? Remember that when salah is mandatory at the age of seven, when he's being taught salah, he should also be taught wudu. And gradually, gradually strengthen this habit, work on it so that by the age of ten, you know, it's mastered. Okay, wudu and salah. Wudu is mandatory. Because Ibn Abbas, فَتَوَضَّأْتُ نَحْوًا مِمَّا تَوَضَّأَ Right? And also teach them the lighter way of performing wudu. Because sometimes we start with everything three times. Hmm? So what happens? Children, they find it difficult. Make it easy for them. And every child is different. Some children love to play with water. They love to wash themselves and others don't. So whatever is easier, you know, depending on the child, that is what the child should be taught. And we see that Ibn Abbas said that, ثُمَّ جِئْتُ فَقُمْتُ عَنْ يَسَارِي I stood on his left side. And think about it. If Ibn Abbas, his prayer was not being counted as prayer, then would the Prophet ﷺ move him from his left to his right? No. The fact that he moved him from his left to his right was because the saf had to be correct. That the imam is on the left and on his right is the ma'um. So which means that Ibn Abbas, his prayer was valid. Even though he had not reached the age of puberty, which meant that the rulings concerning the saf had to be observed by him. Because many times it happens that certain major issues, you know, we say, oh, you know, he's still a child, he's still a child. With regards to many things, there's, you know, freedom that, okay, you can do it, you cannot do it. But certain things which are fard, which are necessary for iqamat al-salah, they should not be, you know, neglected. So this is what the hadith proves. That the rules of jama'ah do apply to children when they are performing salah with the jama'ah. Secondly, we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he slept and he woke up and he did not perform wudu. There's two explanations of that. Firstly, as is mentioned over here, okay, that this was exclusively for the Prophet ﷺ because if he had lost his wudu, he would have been aware of that. So when he slept, he did not break his wudu and this is the reason why he did not perform his wudu again. 
Another reason is that, another explanation is that many scholars are of the view that sleep in and of itself does not nullify wudu. Sleep in and of itself does not nullify wudu. Using the bathroom, of course. Passing wind, of course. These are nullifiers of wudu, no doubt about it. But other scholars, they said that sleep, you know, just because a person dozed off for a few moments, doesn't mean that it is just like he used the bathroom. No, it's not like that. Because sometimes it happens that a person, you know, he's praying the salah, you know, she's doing dhikr after Isha, 33 times she's trying to complete her dhikr, and what happens? Dozes off. Okay? And then when she wakes up all of a sudden, she sees the time, it's only been two minutes. It's only been a minute. It's only been ten minutes. Alright? And she's sitting, leaning onto the bed, for example. Hmm? So, and she doesn't have that feeling where, you know, she was feeling gassy or anything and she feels like she's passed wind. Nothing like that. So when she feels that she hasn't lost her wudu, then she can get up and pray. No need to go and refresh wudu. Okay? However, when the sleep has been very deep and long, then of course you don't know what's been happening during your sleep. So a person should perform wudu before performing the salah. حدثنا إسماعيل قال حدثني مالك عن إسحاق بن عبد الله بن أبي طلحة عن أنس بن مالك أن جدته Beautiful hadith Anas said that his jadda Who is jadda? Grandmother His grandmother, what was her name? Mulaika She da'at She invited Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam لطعامن, For some food صنعته she had prepared it. Meaning she had prepared it for who? For him. Sana'at who? فَأَكَلَ مِنْهُ So the Prophet ﷺ came and he ate from that food. He accepted her invitation and he ate from that food and after eating, فَقَالَ So he said, قُومُ Stand فَالْأُصَلِّي بِكُمْ I will pray with you. He was in their house and what did he do after eating? He said, Come everybody, let's pray. I will lead you all in prayer. فَقُمْتُ Anasallahu said that I got up إِلَى حَصِيرٍ in order to get a حَصِير. What is a حَصِير? A mat. Lana that we had. قَدِسْوَدَّ That mat had become black. It had become really dark in its color. مِن طولي, Because of the long time مَالُوبِسَ That it had been used. Because it, it wasn't used for such a long time. You know, it had become really dark. فَنَضَحْتُهُ فَنَضَحْتُهُ Meaning I sprinkled it with some water, in with some water. I made it wet. I sprinkled some water over it. Why? In order to freshen it up and, and also in order to soften it. Because an old mat, okay, obviously it's hard. It's going to be prickly when you, you know, sit on it, when you do sajda on it. So in order to soften it, he sprinkled some water on it. And notice, Anas was was still a child. But he knew, you know, like so responsible that, okay, a mat, you know, it's hard, so sprinkle water over it. And really, when children are given responsibility, they take charge and they do things without even being told. And they really mature. فَقَامَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ So the Prophet ﷺ stood, وَالْيَتِيمُ مَعِي And the yatim, meaning the orphan child, he was standing with me. وَالْعَجُوزُ And the old lady... He's talking about his grandmother. She was miwara'ina, behind us. فَصَلَّى بِنَا رَكْعَتَيْنَ So the Prophet ﷺ prayed with us, two rak'ah. 
a number of things over here. First of all, the Prophet ﷺ accepted the invitation of this old lady. And that shows to us, first of all, the love that the companions had for the Prophet ﷺ. All of them, the men amongst them, the women amongst them, and the children amongst them, they all loved him. So much so that if they had food, they either sent it or they invited him. Hmm? And secondly, we also see that the Prophet ﷺ had great respect for his companions too, that he responded to their invitation, even if it was just for the purpose of food. But he did not just limit it to eating. When he ate with them, he also prayed with them. And this is what makes any meeting, gathering useful, that Allah is remembered, His name is mentioned, something good is spoken of, you know, some act of worship is done, so that it is not a hujjah against us, rather it becomes a hujjah for us. Also we see here that the Prophet ﷺ prayed salah with them. Which salah was this? Fard or nafl? Nafl. Because if it was fard, it would have been where? In the masjid. Right? Or in a bigger congregation. So this shows to us that nafl prayer may be performed in jama'ah, but how often? Sometimes. Not that a person makes it a habit. Every time, you know, there is a, you know, an invitation somewhere, then a person says, okay, everybody stand up for nafl prayer. Everybody stand up for nafl prayer. And jama'ah. No. It was not the habit of the Prophet ﷺ. There were certain occasions when he did perform nafl in jama'ah, but not always. And this shows to us that it should not be just be limited to the month of Ramadan because we have limited praying nafl in Jama'ah to just Taraweeh. And beyond that, this is something that is avoided a lot. But it should not be avoided. Sometimes, you know, nafl should be prayed in Jama'ah as was the habit of the Prophet ﷺ. Then we also see that they were doing sajda on the soft mat. Why do I say it was soft? Because it had been made wet. Why? So that it would become soft. So this shows that it is permissible to pray on a soft surface that a person may lay down something on the ground so that the sajda is easier. Okay, And that mat or rug or carpet may also be soft. Now, we see that at the masjid there were no mats. Hmm? One reason was that, you know, okay, do sajda directly on the ground. Okay, But also because it was not affordable. Okay, for the companions. If they had anything like that, they would you know, lie down on it. They, they would sleep on it. They used to use rocks as pillows. Hmm? So it shows that if a person does have a soft mat or something on which his salah will be more comfortable, then make use of the ni'mah that Allah has blessed you with. Right? Like for example, for some people, standing in taraweeh for long, it hurts their feet. Hmm? It hurts their feet. I remember once I was in a masjid and this lady... She had brought towels with her and she would put a towel beneath her feet, always, like fold it up and then place it beneath her feet because she said that my ankles, they hurt a lot when I'm standing for a long time. So to ease that pain and to help her stand for long, she would do that. So likewise, if a person has a nice, soft, really plush, you know, prayer rug, there's no harm. Okay. Also we see that Jama'ah, the reason why Imam Bukhari brought this hadith over here. That a jama'ah is being performed with who? Okay, the Prophet ﷺ is the imam, and who is he leading? Two children and a lady. There is no other man, but it is jama'ah. So that means that the children, they are considered part of the jama'ah, and they had to form a saf. 
And notice how they form their separate self. Not that they're standing next to the grandmother. No, she's forming her own self because this is a rule. That the women have their own self. Right? And the men have their own self. And the imam stands apart from the men. So, children, when they're praying in congregation, then the rules of jama'ah will will apply to them. And you see, if there's only one man, then where does he stand? Next to the imam. Correct? Next to the imam. If there's only two men praying, the ma'mum will stand next to the imam. But we see that these are two children, and where are they standing? Behind the imam. Not next to the imam. That their prayer is not valid, so it's okay. Just stand next to the imam. No. They're forming their own role. And and it is best that children are treated in that way. Because many times when we treat children like, oh, they're still very young, very young, very young, then they never grow up. Hmm? So it's necessary that they are included in such things so that they learn. And it happens sometimes that you know, when everybody is praying together, then children, they become overly excited. And when the salah is going on, that is when they will start talking or, you know, playing with each other and fooling around. That is okay. You know, acceptable in the sense that you don't have to be too hard on them until a certain age. But they should be taught gradually, okay, that they should pray salah together. And many times you see children who are around adults or around older children, the way they stand in salah, it's amazing. And children of similar age, but because they have not been doing that, they, they don't know how to stand properly. I remember with my son, until recently, it was a struggle to keep him standing. But alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, you know, with consistency, gradually, he's getting there. Hmm? But before, when he was really young, when he would go to the masjid regularly, because my father, when he was here, would make it a point for every salah he would take him almost. And he knew what to do, what not to do. But, you know, then they lose the habit, then obviously they forget what the rules are. But what we learn is that until age seven, you know, don't be too hard on them. But after age seven, make them a part of the Jumu'ah. حدثنا عبد الله بن مسلمة عن مالك عن ابن شهاب عن عبيد الله بن عبد الله بن عتبة عن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما أنه قال he said أقبلت راكبا he said I came riding راكبا راكب is who one who is riding so I came riding على حمار on a donkey a tannin that was female meaning my female donkey I came on it وأنا يوم إذن and I was at that time قد نهزت الاحتلام Nahastu meaning I was near. I had almost reached the age of puberty. At that time, he had not yet reached the age of puberty, but he was almost there. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and when he came riding, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he was yusalli bin nasi biminan. He was praying with the people at Mina. So at Mina, the salah is going on in Jama'ah, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is leading, and he, meaning the Prophet ﷺ, was praying ila ghayri jidarin, in the direction of ghayri no jidar wall. Meaning there was no wall in front of him. No wall in front of him, meaning there was no sutra before him. There was no sutra in front of him. فَمَرَرْتُ He said, so I passed بَيْنَ يَدَيْ in front of بَعْضِ الصَّفِّ Some of the صَفْ. There was a part of the صَفْ I actually passed 
in front of it. Fanazaltu. So I came down, meaning from my donkey. Wa'arsaltu, and I sent al-atan, the donkey, tarta'u, to graze. Wadakhaltu fi saf and I entered the saf. فَلَمْ يُنْكِرْ ذَلِكَ عَلَيَّ أَحَدٌ So no one objected to me on doing that. Meaning when the prayer was over, nobody was upset with me that why did you pass in front of us? And why did you bring the donkey in front of us? Nobody was upset with me. Which means that it was permissible. Now, again we see that Ibn Abbas, a young child at this time, not at the age of puberty yet, but when he came, he stood where? In the saf. فَدَخَلْتُ الصَّفْ Right? And he prayed. He prayed salah in Jama'ah, in the row, with everybody else. Secondly, we see in this hadith that passing in front of Musalli, okay, which Musalli? The one who is Ma'moom. The one who is praying behind the Imam is permissible. So there's a Jama'ah going on. Okay? Everybody is following the Imam. And a person is in the middle of that congregation. And they need to do their wudu. Or they remember that they don't have wudu. So they need to exit. Okay? They need to exit. How will they exit? How? They will have to certainly pass in front of some people. Right? So in that situation, when he is passing in front of the row while the salah is going on, is it permissible? Yes, it is permissible. Because Ibn Abbas who did that. Salah is going on. He passed. Now, in this hadith we see the Prophet ﷺ was not facing a wall, which means that there was no sutra in front of him. So what about in that situation? Because there is a rule that we learned about earlier that the sutra of the imam is the sutra of the people behind him. Everybody does not have to have their own sutra. Now remember that even in that situation, it is permissible to pass between the rows, to walk in front of the people who are praying, obviously when there is a need to do that. How? Why? Because you could say that for each row, the row in front is a sutra, or you know, the imam is a sutra in a way. Okay? So remember, when there is jama'ah, passing between the rows is permissible, it is allowed. Hmm? Alright. Secondly, we also see here that it is allowed to pray uh, without having a sutra in front of you, because the Prophet وسلم did that. Another thing we see over here is that the passing of a donkey in front of the musalli does not invalidate his prayer. We learned about this issue earlier also that in a particular version we learned that three, if they pass in front of a musalli then they break the prayer. They invalidate the prayer, meaning a person has to start all over again. What three? A donkey, a dog, and a woman. Aisha, when she heard that, she got very upset. And there's many ahadith that are reported in Bukhari that she said, you have equated us with dogs and donkeys. And she criticized the narrators that there must be some misunderstanding over here because she said many times it happened that she would be laying in front of the Prophet while he would be performing the salah. Right? That part of her feet or her legs or something would be in front of him. And that did not stop him from prayer which meant that his prayer was valid. And this hadith also proves that if a donkey passes in front of the musalli, then that does not invalidate the prayer because no one objected to Ibn Abbas for bringing the donkey over there. Right? And also one more thing. Children, if they pass in front of the rose, is that okay? When the jama'ah is going on, it's okay. 
because the sutra of the imam is a sutra for the musalli and many times it will happen that, the, that when the prayer is going on I mean children have such a nice runway uh, not one but multiple and everybody is praying nobody can say anything to them so they've got their freedom they can run back and forth nobody is going to stop them now it doesn't mean that they should not be told not to do that but there will be a certain age at which they will understand hmm? however when a person is praying by themselves or when the jama'ah is over then should the children pass in front of the musalli no what if they pass then they should be stopped okay what if the child is only one year old, three years old, still they should be stopped. Why? Because in hadith we learned that the Prophet ﷺ, once he was praying, and a lamb you know, tried to pass in front of the Prophet ﷺ, and he did not let it. He stepped forward and he did not let that animal pass in front of him. Hmm? So from this it shows that even those that do not understand, hmm? so for example, Little children, they don't know what they're doing. They're just running. They're just walking. Even they should be stopped. But remember, stop gently, gradually. But be consistent and firm about it. Initially, there will be a struggle. But eventually, children will understand. But this is something important. Because the Prophet ﷺ instructed that when you're praying and somebody passes in front of you, then stop. And if you have to fight, fight against. Right? Because when a person is praying, who's before him? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it is disrespectful that someone should walk right over there. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.